Hello again, this is Pastor Ed Collins of North Christian Church. This is part 52 of Proverbs 17, Wisdom. Let's open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us together in this unique way. In this unique time, Father, we know that you have it all under control and we may be comforted knowing this, Father. We're so grateful for your grace, your mercy, your love uh, in this moment, at this time, Father. We're so blessed. Um, we're so encouraged by you, by your provision for us, by your promises, by your faithfulness. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that are ill. We pray that they understand that you're with them and that you have a purpose for their lives. And we pray that you heal them and comfort them in your good timing, of course. We pray also for those that are still lost in this world, Father, without hope that they be humbled and receive saving faith before it's too late, Father. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a time like this a special time to rejoice in. We do just ask for your blessings on this message. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, this is Proverbs 17, Wisdom, Part 52. Uh, let's pick up where we left uh, off last time. Go to Proverbs 17, verse 6. Proverbs 17, verse 6. And just like uh, as if we were in uh, physically at the church, uh, hopefully you have this, um, you know, marked uh, in your Bibles. If not, mark it now. We're going to refer back to it. Proverbs 17, 6 reads, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. And so this has been our launching pad uh, for a while now into the topic of family. So here's our recurring principle on marriage and family. On the board, uh, we believers are held to a higher standard. And remember, man does not set this bar. At the head of each family, God has given authority to a man. Now, as the Spirit pointed out last time, holding fast to this biblical perspective can be the source of much persecution, especially today. Now, I've got to share something with you as I was preparing this message for you. A little side note came up, and it's important, so please listen up. I was thinking about whether or not anti-biblical thinking is actually mainstream, and with a focus on the word mainstream, or not. It's just a challenging question. You know, is it possible that we may have overshot our estimation of how quote-unquote mainstream anti-biblical thinking actually is? Or is it possible that a lot of it is just smoke and mirrors? Or at least in part. According to, let me just give you an example. According to Gallup.com, uh, an article from June 2019 titled, Americans Still Greatly Overestimate U.S. Gay Population. Quote, U.S. adults estimate that 23.6% of Americans 
are gay or lesbian. And yet, according to Gallup, from this same article, the actual number is about 4.5%. So, you know, back of napkin math says the perception is about five times that of the reality. The perception is five times. That's a, that's a lot, folks. Five times that of reality. So let's put this into perspective by applying this to a few other areas of life. For example, what if your perception of China's military forces was five times what it actually is? What if your perception of global warming was five times what it really is? What if your perception of those against the Bible, you know, mainstream, against the Bible, full-on, you know, antagonistic, what if your perception of those against the Bible is five times what it really is? Do you see the point? What the Spirit's bringing to the forefront here is the very real possibility that your perception may not match reality. And this is how Satan influences you up here on the board. Your perception may not match reality. And it's a fair question. If and when this happens, and it's typically due to you believing lies or, you know, half-truths, you are likely to make decisions that are suboptimal. It's like trying to build an argument on insubstantive beliefs. Uh, eventually, your argument fails. There's no substance behind it, in other words. And the greater the initial presupposition, uh, the greater the fall, right? The greater the false belief, uh, the greater the fall is at the end. That reminded me of Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Uh, that should say 2, 27. Uh, go there now, Matthew 17, or excuse, 7, verse 17. We'll, we'll back up a little bit in the passage to get a little bit more context. Go to Matthew 7, 17. But our key focus is 24 to 27. Again, this is how Satan influences you. Your perception may not match reality. If and when this happens, and typically it's due to you believing lies or half-truths or what have you, uh, you are likely to make decisions that are suboptimal. It's like trying to build an argument on insubstantive beliefs. Eventually, your argument fails, and the greater the initial presupposition, the greater the fall. Matthew 7, 17 reads, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. In other words, this is forcing us to look at even our own system of thinking, right? Uh, what we believe to be true. A healthy tree cannot bad bear fruit, uh, bad fruit uh, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, okay, this is our point in view. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. In other words, it matters who you listen to. It matters who you listen to because that will develop your perception. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. On what? The perception of well-being? On lies? That's what it means to build on sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Again, the point on the board, how Satan influences you, your perception may not match reality. Imagine the person in Jesus' story there who built their house on the sand. Their perception was that they were doing pretty darn well, right? And then when the, the tough times came, when the storms came, uh, the truth came out. They uh, were annihilated, basically. Uh, your perception may not match reality. If and when this happens, again, typically it's due to you believing lies or half-truths, you are likely to make decisions that are suboptimal. It's like trying to build an argument on insubstantive beliefs. Eventually, your argument fails, and the greater the initial presupposition, uh, the greater the fall. We just saw that in Matthew 7. 24 to 27. So I guess what the Spirit's inserting here is precisely what Jesus said. Be very careful what you listen to. Go to Luke 8, 17. Luke 8, 17. Again, this is just an insertion into our primary course of study to sort of open ourselves up, to challenge ourselves, right? Uh, not to fall prey into the same traps that even unbelievers do. Uh, we cannot take this, you know, so-called moral high ground without actually uh, functioning with integrity to reality. Luke 8:17. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks uh, that he has will be taken away. With emphasis on take care, then how you hear. Go to Ephesians 5.15. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Your perception, the point on the board, your perception may not match reality. Where do you get your perception from? Well, it's what you take in, what you, quote, hear. Ephesians 5.15 adds to this. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Look carefully then how you walk. Hmm. Not as unwise, but as wise. Go to Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. I've got a synthesis principle coming up, so don't worry. Go to Hebrews 4, verse 12. Again, Ephesians 5, 15 said, Look carefully how you walk. Luke 8, 18 said, Take care then how you hear. Speaking of hearing, Hebrews 4, 12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so we have the Word of God that's able to cut to the root of everything, every situation we can possibly run into in life. We have the Word of God and we ought to depend on it. Our perceptions, in other words, should be born of it. That should be the good fruit that Jesus was talking about. And then finally, go to 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. So, so far we have, you know, take care how you hear, look carefully how you walk, and then we have the Word of God before us. 2 Timothy 3.16. What about the Word of God? All Scripture is breathed out by God. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God, or God breathed. He is the author, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Righteousness is just another way of saying to be right, to understand what reality is. That is righteousness. So let's take pause for a moment and synthesize the past five passages we just read in short order. Let me help you synthesize the following. So, so far we've looked at Matthew 7, 17 to 27, Luke 8, 17 to 18, Ephesians 5, 15, Hebrews 4, 12, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16. So we might summarize this way. This is what the Spirit's trying to say to us. Seek to build your thoughts on truth. Therefore, be careful what you listen to because your thoughts direct your walk. Let the Bible be your source of truth because it is God-breathed. Again, just to summarize, five different passages. Seek to build your thoughts on truth. Be careful what you listen to because your thoughts direct your walk. Let the Bible be your source of truth because it is God-breathed. So let's face it. It happens to the best of us, right? Uh, we get tripped up with the persistency of lies in this world. Why do you think the Spirit's been so adamant about picking on those big, flat sewer pipes that dominate your so-called, quote, living rooms? Is it about the TVs? Is it? Nope. It's about how you are being pelted with lies that perpetuate certain beliefs in you that are sometimes five times that of reality. How do you think those statistics I gave you earlier come to be? Media. Again, it's not about the TV. It's about how you are being pelted with lies that perpetuate certain beliefs in you that are sometimes five times that of reality, sometimes even more skewed. And as a result, you think wrongly and you make bad decisions and you often end up miserable. That's that bad fruit that Jesus was talking about. Why? Because this type of bad information is destructive to the one thing you need, faith. It's destructive to your faith. If you want peace and contentment in your life, 
then why, oh why, do you persist in subjecting yourself to the lies of this world? Why? Why do you sit in front of that sewer pipe, for example, instead of doing a Bible study? That's a fair question. Go to Romans 10, 17. Romans 10, 17. <clears throat> and don't hate the messenger, please. What you do on your own time is between you and the Lord. This is, has nothing to do with my estimation of uh, television sets. <laughs> Romans 10, 17. <clears throat> Very simply. Romans 10, 17 reads, So faith, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing. What did Jesus say? Be careful what you listen to. So add Romans 10, 17 and to the point of the board and synthesize some more even. Again, if our summary is, seek to build your thoughts on truth, therefore be careful what you listen to because your thoughts direct your walk. Let the Bible be your source of truth because it is God-breathed. And we look at Romans 10, 17, it says, so faith comes from hearing. So how about you just hear the word of God? Doing what you're doing right now is fantastic. Here's the instigating principle. Uh, that is the crux of this little sidebar on perception versus reality, because that's the sidebar. Up here on the board, how Satan influences you. Your perception may not match reality. Uh, and you have to at least have the humility to step back and ask yourself if this is true with yourself. I guarantee it's true in some areas of your life. So if and when this happens, uh, you are likely to make decisions that are suboptimal. It's like trying to build an argument on insubstantive beliefs. Eventually your argument fails and the fall of your argument is great. Which means you're miserable. Jesus Christ said, you will be persecuted. Let's put this to task, okay? Jesus Christ said, you will be persecuted. Now, I want you to keep that first sentence in view. Your perception may not match reality. Jesus said, you will be persecuted. But I think, sometimes, we Christians like to over-inflate exactly how much each of us is being persecuted or attacked, let's say. I think we like to do that. We overinflate it. If we function with even a modicum of integrity to reality, we have to concede that there's a lot of so-called, quote, Christians running around proclaiming they are noble warriors for Christ. And because they are, you know, standing up for Christ, they are being persecuted day in and day out. My fair challenge to that is, what the Spirit's actually challenging us with right now, is this. How often is this supposed persecution actually happening? How often is this supposed persecution actually happening i'll be honest with you i can't i can't tell you the last time anyone flat out attacked me directly for being a believer in christ i can't tell you i'm a pastor a known pastor maybe not since i was on facebook i think 
uh, was the last time I was directly attacked for being a believer in Christ? Probably, yeah, back in, and I don't even, that's been, it's been years since I've been on Facebook. I'm not 100% sure, but just let that be an indicator of how long it's actually been. How long it's actually been. So, if I want to live in reality, then I have to at least function with integrity to all data. Let me say that again. If I want to live in reality, then I have to at least function with integrity to all data. Not just data that my flesh thinks will, you know, somehow, quote, advance my plight in this world. You know, my drama, you know, whatever. Last time I checked, Jesus Christ controls history, right? Hebrews 1.3. So while it's true that Jesus said we will be persecuted, I'm not convinced that every, you know, so-called form of persecution the average Christian purports to be suffering is actually persecution. And I'm just being fair here. We don't just get to throw stones at everyone else, my friends, right? We got to walk the walk. Again, while it's true that Jesus said we will be persecuted, that is a fact, clearly stated, biblical doctrine. I'm not convinced that every so-called, you know, claim to persecution that the average Christian purports to be suffering is actually persecution. In fact, my personal experience, most people that are suffering are suffering because of their own poor decisions, their own Poor decisions, and it begins a lot of times with what they're letting into their souls, what they refuse to let go of. So again, most people are suffering because, this is my personal experience, maybe yours is different, I doubt it, but most people are suffering because of their own poor decisions. And as a strategy to, you know, dodge personal responsibility for their own poor decision making, they say they are being, quote, persecuted because they are a believer. You know, just like Jesus said they would be. That's as big of a lie as any other lie in this world. A person who's trying to dodge personal responsibility for poor decision making and then says, I'm suffering for Jesus, is living a lie. That's a big, that's as big a lie as any other lie in the world. A lie is a lie, period. So if you're one of these types of people that are doing the same thing those antagonistic to Christ in this world are doing, in other words, lying about reality in order to influence perception, then you're no better than they are, frankly. That's why they're miserable and so are you. That's why. The point is that we must function with integrity to the truth always, the truth always. And the truth is that since we have fleshes too, we like to tell lies to accommodate it. I mean, case in point, isn't it easier, quote unquote, to point a finger at someone else when you're suffering than to point said finger at the person in the mirror? Seems so. Up here on the board, 
don't be a liar. Don't be a liar. Lying makes you indistinguishable from Christ's antagonists. <laughs> we have enough lies to try to sift through. We don't need our own to make matters worse. Function in integrity always, even when it, quote, hurts. Don't be a liar. Again, lying makes you indistinguishable from Christ's antagonists. We have enough lies to try to sift through. We don't need our own to make matters worse. So function in integrity always, even when it hurts. Sometimes it's true. The truth hurts. All right, so that's the end of our little sidebar. And personally, I love when the Spirit gives us the time to think through topics like this because we are so blessed with the resultant wisdom that true humility brings with it. All right, let's get back to our primary course of study. Hopefully you tagged it as I suggested. Go to Proverbs 17, verse 6. Proverbs 17, verse 6. Proverbs 17, 6 reads, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. Here's our principle from the outset of this message up here on the board on marriage and family. We believers are held to a higher standard. And remember, man does not set the bar. At the head of each family, God has given authority to a man. So, if we are to function with integrity, you know, as the Spirit just pointed out, we must be holy. If we're to function with integrity, we must be then holy. And this is something Peter explained. Go to 1 Peter 1, verse 14. 1 Peter 1, 14. Again, <clears throat> If we had a function with integrity, that's why we just spent ample time looking at that in Holy Scripture. We must be holy. We must be holy. 1 Peter 1.14 As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. In other words, as a child of God, behave yourself. Sounds kind of funny to say it that way, but that's what it says. This isn't, look, this isn't rocket science, folks. God's our Father. He's basically saying, listen, you want the blessings of being in my family? You want the full blessing of being in my family? Behave yourself. Okay, <laughs> sounds familiar, right? Sounds like we were growing up. Sounds like parents. As we noted last time, Paul had the same thing to say. Up here on the board, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. In holiness. That's our calling. There are so many blatant lies about marriage and family circulating in this world today. And just as a little, you know, side disclaimer, let's not allow the media to dictate to us what reality is, because the media is masterful at developing public perspective on based on ungodly agendas. 
do not allow the media to dictate to us what reality is. That was part of the opening of this message as well. In other words, don't compromise your integrity to the truth about something as institutional to society as marriage and family. Whenever someone decides to actually persecute you, and again, don't overestimate this for the sake of your own ungodly agendas. Whenever someone decides to actually persecute you, what has the Spirit said for us? Do as Jesus commanded them. Love. When someone persecutes you for what you believe in regarding marriage and family, do as Jesus commanded. Love. So we got to quickly review uh, last Sunday's, or this past Sunday's, little sidebar, um, which was on the dynamics of love. Some very special things came out of that message in terms of um, <clears throat> the sphere of love, the dynamics of love. How do we enjoy said love? How do we express said love? Well, in short, the Bible showed us that if you obey Jesus' command to love others, no matter what, that's what we call objective love. It's nothing to do with them. Everything to do with you. So the Bible showed us that if we, if we obey Jesus' command to love others no matter what, we'll have the incredible privilege of continuing to abide. We'll use that special word, abide, in this love. Go to John 15, 9. John 15, verse 9. Excuse me if you can hear me taking a sip of my tea. <laughs> John 15, verse 9. Let's prove this out. We see this dynamic, uh, you know, to use a fancy word, the dynamism of love itself. John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love, he says. This is Jesus. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. You see what Jesus was doing? And that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So we have a commandment. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And so again, abiding in love implies a certain dynamism. It's dynamic. The, 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 the dynamics of love are right front and center before us here. And that's a really good thing. You have, a, you have the God-given right to be supremely encouraged by the Word of God regarding this objective love. And so... With that in tow, you know, our perspective on all of this should be very simple. You just keep on loving, and God will tend to those whom receive our love. You just keep on loving. Do you see the, the solidarity that you gain with this simple perspective? You just keep on loving. Let God take care of the rest. Do you see the solidarity you gain? Simple perspective here. You're, you're set free by it because others, now listen up, this is important. Others have zero control over you. Others have 
zero control over you. You're set free. This is why, I was thinking about this, and I invite you to do so as well. This is why selfish lovers always want you to focus or to hyper-focus on them personally. Selfish lovers always want you to hyper-focus on them personally. Why? Because it's all about control to them. They know that if your eyes divert from Christ's objective love to a more subjective love for them, they've essentially gained control over you. Why? Because now your love is dependent on them. Which also, by the way, makes it hard for you to, to leave them. It's all about control. Single people hearing my voice right now, please do not get involved with a selfish lover. The relationship will be utterly toxic. Listen, do not get involved with a selfish lover. The relationship will be utterly toxic. Ask anyone who's made that mistake on the grand scale of marriage. Now they're stuck. And, you know, as a side note, who knows, maybe, maybe they're one of those people who refuse to admit their poor decisions are the reason for their ongoing suffering, etc., etc., but enough of that. You focus on loving. You keep on loving objectively. That should be your focus in this life. In other words, as Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy, be holy in all your conduct. So we can conclude that to love like Christ is to be holy. To be holy. You may quickly realize what Paul wrote about, of course, but, you know, don't, don't be discouraged. Up here on the board, 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If you love more, if you love, if I love you more, excuse me, am I to be loved less? Paul knew about this kind of love and he knew the dynamics of it, but he still went forth and he was set free by abiding in this love. He also said in Galatians 4, 16, up here on the board, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Rhetorical question. We've all been there. Nonetheless, we are commanded by the Lord Jesus to love. Remember that, John 13, 34. So, be encouraged. Be encouraged. We are called to live this way. We saw that earlier. We are called to live this way in this objective love. And remember, uh, up here on the board, this verse as well, 2 Peter 2, 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. You hand it over to God. The Lord says, you keep loving. I will take care of everything else. I will deliver you during those times when it gets, uh, you know, heated or, or difficult. He promises. And the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So here's been our encouragement on this verse up here on the board. 
The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Always remember this. Always remember this. When circumstances seem dire, you know, when you're standing up for marriage, when you're standing up for the institution of family, biblically speaking, you will be persecuted at some point. When that happens, remember God's promises to you personally. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. So, with integrity to the word of truth, abiding in Christ's love, stand firm regarding our instigating principle up here on the board on marriage and family. We believers are held to a higher standard. And remember, man does not set the bar. At the head of each family, God has placed a man. Do not apologize for that. Don't compromise it. Uh, it's what God has set forth as truth. You abide in it. You be set free by it. And you just keep on loving. So here's the principle we ended with uh, last Thursday uh, and Sunday, this past Sunday. So it must be important, uh, men, up here on the board, men, protect your family. Protect your family. Do not allow people from outside of your family to infiltrate it. Be vigilant. I can't stress that word enough. Be vigilant, on guard, ready to ward off the wolves in sheep's clothing. Remember, attacks often come from where you least expect it. We saw that with Psalm 55, 12 to 14. Uh, that was, you know, David's aha moment, right? It was a form of betrayal from those close to him. Uh, again, the, the principle is, though, from the Spirit to you men, uh, especially you men that are married with kids, protect your family. Don't ever give anyone, not even your spouse, definitely not your kids, a free pass. Don't ever give anyone, not even your spouse, a free pass. Why do I say that? Think about it. Everyone at some point acts on behalf of the kingdom of darkness. Up here on the board, Matthew 16, 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Why? For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So he called him Satan. Who hasn't done that? Who hasn't set their, who has, have you not set your mind on, the, uh, on yourself rather than the things of God? I have. I probably do it every day. Sadly, anytime any one of us does what Peter did here in context, we too are acting like Satan. Now, knowing everyone can be like this, like Satan, it behooves us to be on guard at all times. It behooves us to be on guard at all times. Therefore, uh, let's read uh, Paul's good counsel in Ephesians 5, 6. Go to Ephesians 5, verse 6. Again, Knowing everyone can be like Satan, I mean, Peter was, it behooves us to be on guard at all times. This is why Paul wrote what he wrote. Go to uh, look at Ephesians 5, 6. 
Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Focus on that. Let no one, no one deceive you with empty words. Uh, to, you know, harken back to the start of this message, don't let your perceptions be altered or influenced, right? With, with words that aren't truth, that are lies, that are empty, in other words. In the context of our message uh, today, again, men protect your family. Do not allow people from outside of your family to infiltrate it. Be vigilant, on guard, ready to ward off the wolves in sheep's clothing. Remember, attacks often come from where you least expect it. And that's what we noted with David uh, last Sunday up here on the board, Psalm 55, 13 to 14. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Ah, right? Again, in the context of our focus on family, men, protect your family. Be very careful who you invite into your home. Why? Because chances are you'll be listening to them, right? Didn't we just get a fair warning from Christ himself? Be careful what you listen to. Yep. Be very careful who you invite into your home because you will be listening to them. Ephesians 5, 6 again, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Jeez. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk. There's that call to walk again. Walk the walk. Behave. Be obedient. Be holy. Walk as children of light. Verse 9. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Remember the tree bearing bad fruit. Uh, as Jesus said at the outset uh, in Matthew 7, uh, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. In other words, expose the enemies to your family, guys. Expose the enemies. Be on the lookout. And when you see it, say, get behind me, Satan. Right? Uh, expose them. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Right? That's where we get the old saying, seeing it all is truth. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look at verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. I was thinking about that, you know, how perfect the, the Spirit's curriculum is for us. Um, our last two blogs are particularly useful here as well, since <clears throat> uh, emotionalism seems to be one of the primary devices the kingdom of darkness uses to infiltrate our families. Think about that. Think about it long and hard. Seriously, we're there to protect our families. Men, protect your families. Don't allow emotionalism to be the splinter that allows, uh, you know, 
badness to get into your family up here on the board. Here are the two recent blogs uh, on the 8th of January, learning to think before we emote. And then on the 15th, the parade of fools. Again, look at verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, what does submitting to one another look like? Well, verse 22 is the start of it. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, with spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy, there it is again, and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it, that it refers to Christ and the church. That's what marriage is a picture of. We've learned this. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Up here on the board, a little more on that mystery. This mystery is profound, and it truly is. The family is a microcosm of God's larger family. It's a picture of it. As Christ is over his bride, the church, husbands are over their wives in their families. Now, to round out this big picture that Paul was developing here in Ephesians, look at Ephesians 6, verse 1. Remember, in the original language, there's no chapter breaks, right? So it just keeps going. Uh, Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. <clears throat> Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then finally, we see how, you know, what we learn in the home is applied to the grander stage we call life. Look at verse 5, Ephesians 6, 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleases, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man.
you know, as we learned a couple of messages back now, <clears throat> when we look at family and we look at the, you know, the fruit of, of good family, of godly families, uh, children that come, one of the beautiful things about godly families is that children that come from good, you know, good godly stock, let's call it, are more likely to be authority oriented. To, to, to abide in these divine institutions of marriage and family and the authority that's been delegated by God, the creator, to the leadership in those institutions. So children that come from godly you know, stock, if you want to call it that, are more likely to be authority-oriented, which ultimately pays dividends much earlier in life than those who struggle with all the dysfunction, let's say, of an ungodly home life growing up up here on the board we have a pair of uh, principles <clears throat> worth repeating here the value of family disciplined well-adjusted children from godly homes make for great subordinates because authority orientation was instilled in them at an early age and they are blessed for it and they become blessings for others especially those in authority right and we can point to Ephesians 6, 5 for that. Here's the corollary to that. Um, undisciplined, up here on the board, undisciplined, maladjusted children from godly homes make for horrible subordinates because authority orientation was never instilled in them. And they are cursed for it. And be, they become a cursing for others, especially those in authority. That's just sort of like the photo negative of the first principle. But you get the point. What's the common thread? Family. What's the common thread? Family is. You know, to be fair, it's a big ask of a person to, to even trust those in authority when their first exposure was a couple, you know, was to a couple of parents who blew it royally. It's a big ask. It takes people some time uh, to come around. Uh, and that's the point that there's great, great value in godly families. Great value in godly families. Here's how we ended uh, two Sundays ago up here on the board. Godliness in families pays dividends for life. Godliness in families pays dividends for life. And, and this is, you know, this is why there's so much emphasis in the Bible on godliness persisting in our families on godliness persisting in our families and it begins with the men men i hope you're still listening this is why there's so much emphasis in the bible on godliness persisting in our families you know it's not just for peaceful home lives i mean that's there that's great it's not just that though it's that that peace extends into the world far outside even of the family structure. Again, look at verse uh, Ephesians 6, 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So we carry this uh, authority orientation, this family structure, the things we learn in a, in a godly family, we bring them outbound as we grow up and venture out on our own. Verse 8, 
knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, <clears throat> remember, authority orientation is a concept, a sphere, that includes both leaders and followers. And so Paul is covering all grounds here, right? Uh, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, and so on and so forth. So I hope you appreciate why the Spirit had us read this familiar passage of Scripture with a focus on family. It's because, if, you, if you've been paying attention, the entirety of it, whether you had ever realized it or not, is founded on the divine institution of family. The entire premise of it, the entire structure of Paul's argument is based on, founded on the premise of the divine institution of family. So to come full circle with this, again, here's our instigating principle up here on the board, the value of family. There's an intrinsic goodness that blankets a godly family that is unmistakably a blessing from God designed to encourage such families to persist in the faith. And when we truly realize what the Spirit's teaching us here, we begin to understand the following recurring principle more and more up here on the board on marriage and family. We believers are held to a higher standard. And remember, man does not set the bar. At the head of each family, God has placed a man. Now, this is what I want to leave you with. This, this higher standard implies greater responsibility. To whom much is given, much is required. This higher standard implies greater responsibility, which means more opportunity to bring glory to God in time. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word this way, in this unique way, during this unique time, Father. We're so grateful that your grace has persisted no matter what. Uh, we're just so grateful for all that you've given us, the truth that you've given us, because we know in the end, Father, it's the truth that sets us free. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things back to the privacy of our own souls, to our marriages, our families, Father. And then as your, as your spirit has taught us uh, this, in this message, out to a world that just needs it so desperately, we ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.